0: let's come to the lord in prayer shall we our father we thank you for the opportunity to open your word again now and we we do so lord as those who come hungry to learn of you and we pray that the word of christ would dwell in us richly this morning here in this place lord help us to receive the the word meekly and let it, this word be planted in our souls lord that it may do us good we pray for this and we thank you for it in jesus name amen, amen if you have your bibles would you turn with me please to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 13 to 18 new testament letter of Paul to the church at Thessalonica and it's interesting because it's probably the first letter Paul wrote And uh, it's therefore very interesting to uh, Christians because it's what we call primitive theology. The first teachings of Christianity after the the Lord Lord Jesus that were distributed to the church. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 13 and Paul says brothers we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. With the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Now, that's our text, but I want to just keep going uh, because I think the words that follow are also important for the context. He says, now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day... Let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Well, please keep your Bibles open there, 1 Thessalonians 4. In 1872, the uh, American merchant ship, the Mary Celeste, was discovered by a Canadian vessel off the coast of the Azores uh, near Portugal in a rather unusual manner. The boat itself was a little bit dishevelled, but nevertheless, it was still seaworthy. Her cargo was all intact, her provisions were all intact, but her seven-man crew and her captain and his family had all disappeared. The boat was completely empty of people. And most of you will no doubt... That uh, this led to a lot of speculation. Where did these people go? What happened to them? Uh, and there's been all sorts of speculation over the years as to what happened to the people on board the Mary Celeste. Was it mutiny? Was it piracy? Uh, did they all fall overboard over the edge at once? Uh, was it a giant squid? Was it aliens? Was it a waterspout? Was it an earthquake? Those are all some of the theories that have been brought forward, and uh, nobody has come forward with a definitive answer. Where did they go? No one knows. Well, come forward about a uh, 100 years or so, and it turns out that people are still disappearing from ships. In fact, between 1995 and 2011, as many as 165 people disappeared from cruise liners. Isn't that strange? In most cases, foul play is believed to have taken place. Well, I want to tell you, dear friends, the day is coming when people are going to disappear not only from ships but also from planes, from cars, from offices, from bedrooms, from prison cells. Think about that. You know, like Peter in in the book of Acts chapter 12, they're going to disappear from hospitals and all over over the place. And people are going to be saying, where did they go? Where did they go? There will be the missing millions and there will be all sorts of strange conspiracy theories about where they went. Aliens will probably be the main cause of speculation uh, because science fiction films have been dwelling on this idea of aliens coming in and snatching people away. There's a poster for a film called Skyline. And it has a, a ship that comes, a big alien spaceship that comes down. And it sucks up millions of people out of the, uh, out of, of the, the towns and the cities. And uh, the tagline for this was, don't look up, which was interesting. Because it was the opposite of what Jesus said. When you see these things happen, look up, uh, because your redemption is drawing nigh. But it, that's one of the theories. And I think many people will be speculating, is that where they went well all i can tell you is those who studied the bible how to any degree perhaps in their childhood or they've been to christian meetings they will know where those people have gone Mm. they will know that the lord jesus christ has come for his church and he has come and he has taken them to be with him in an event that we call the rapture the rapture of the church. Now, the word rapture isn't actually mentioned in the Bible, but that doesn't mean that it isn't an unbiblical doctrine. Uh, there's a lot of words that are not mentioned in the Bible. The word trinity isn't in the Bible, but I hope you believe in the Trinity. The word sovereignty isn't mentioned in the Bible, but I hope you believe in the sovereignty of God. The word missionary isn't found in the Bible, but I hope you believe in missionaries. The word Bible isn't found in the Bible, but I, I know you believe the Bible. Well, the word isn't found in the English, but it is the doctrine that is found here. And in verse 17, Paul teaches the rapture of the church when Christ comes for his people. In verse 17, he says, after that, we who are still alive, meaning the Christians who are still alive and are left, will be caught up together with them, that's the dead Christians who've been raised, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever that's the doctrine of the rapture and uh, it's going to be something that's going to be amazing when it happens for those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, this is all a little bit weird, you know, people being taken away from the earth. But I want to tell you this, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, this is not something that should surprise you because it's happened before. In fact, if you think back in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis starts off very early with a man called Enoch in Genesis 5.24. And the Bible tells us that he was not, for God took him. Enoch didn't die like the rest of mankind. You read that chapter, they all died at the, these great old ages. Enoch didn't die. He died a younger man than all the others. And he was, well, he didn't die, he was taken to be with the Lord. The Lord took him to heaven. He detoured around death. And we see the same in the story of Elijah. Elijah in 2 Kings chapter 2 was caught up to heaven. He didn't die. But he was taken up to heaven. And uh, depending on how you interpret the words there, he either went up in a whirlwind or he went up in a chariot or he went up in both. Uh, But uh, he was taken uh, spiritually by the Lord, physically by the Lord to heaven without dying. And this is something that uh, is going to happen again in the future. A little bit like when Philip was taken, snatched away out of the, the desert baptistry, when he baptized the Ethiopian and he was taken and transported to another white place. Uh, that's what's going to happen to God's people uh, when the Lord Jesus comes for his church. And for those who are with us at that time, it will be a shocking thing, a little bit like when the Lord Jesus disappeared in Luke 24. Do you remember the, the two were walking with him on, to, on the road to Emmaus? And they, they took him into the house and they were talking. And when he broke bread, he disappeared from their sight. He didn't just become invisible, but but was still there. You know, I know you're there somewhere. He went. He suddenly went. As quick as a twinkling of an eye, he went. It was a real thing. And that's one thing that's going to happen again in the future to the body of Christ when the Lord Jesus comes for his church. And we want to know about this you know, we need to wake up to the take-up. Uh, we don't want to be taken by surprise, as it were. We need to know about this. In fact, this is a very important teaching a lot of people don't understand. It brings a lot of clarity to the whole doctrine of the second coming. This is a picture of the star called Sirius. Now, if you look at it with the naked eye, it looks like one beautiful star. But actually, when they got more powerful telescopes, they found it wasn't one star, it was two stars. It's what they call a binary star. And it's two stars that are moving around each other. And uh, it looks like one at a distance, but when you see it more close up in more detail, you find it's actually two. And they call it Sirius A and Sirius B. Well, that's like the message of the Lord Jesus' second coming. All our creeds have about the second coming, but when we actually study it in scripture, we find it's actually uh, a twofold event, with Christ coming for his church in the air before he comes back to reign on the earth seven years later at the the end of the tribulation at the battle of Armageddon. And uh, that is something that we need to see in scripture and understand. And I really want us to take this message to heart today. Dave Hunt was a great theologian and talk, uh, preacher of the past. And in one of his books, he said this. He said, the hope of the rapture is a teaching which is unique to Christianity. On that basis alone, it is far more important a far more important doctrine than most Christians acknowledge. While Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, and other world religions offer some kind of heaven after death, none holds out the prospect of being caught up to heaven alive. Christ alone, the conqueror of death, made the promise to those who would believe in him. And uh, I agree with that. It is a very precious and important doctrine, and we need to take it to heart. So this morning I want us to look at the key passage on this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica, a church of young Christians. He was only in Thessalonica for three weeks, we read in the book of Acts. And yet he had taught them about the second coming. And uh, it was the theme that ran all the way through this first epistle. uh, All the way, every chapter ends talking about the second coming. And chapter 5 begins talking about it. And in this passage about the rapture, he gives us the basis of the rapture, the basics of the rapture, and the blessings of the rapture. And if you like this sermon so much, then you can come back tonight because tonight we're going to develop that last thought and we're going to think about the wonders of the rapture for our evening service theme. But I want us to have a look at these things. Let's have a look then, first of all, at the basis of the rapture. I heard about a a philosophy student who was writing, uh, uh, setting a paper for his students and he gave out the exam paper and it just had one question on it. This philosophy teacher gave out the question, why? That was the question. What a philosophy teacher. One student in that class handed his paper back in with one word on it. It said, because. (laughs) Now, why do we believe in the rapture? Why do we believe in it? Well, verses 13 to 15 show us that it's on the basis of the Lord's own triumph over death and death at the resurrection at the cross and the resurrection and it's also on the basis of the lord's own teaching that's what we see let's have a look at the first one of those the lord's own triumph in verse 13 he says brothers we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, he lays out here the fact that uh, we're not to be ignorant about this fact. Um, It's interesting. There's five times that I can count in the New Testament where Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about things. And two of those are personal, where he says to the churches, I want you to know what I'm going through for you. But the other things are in Romans 11, don't be ignorant about Israel. And 1 Corinthians 12, don't be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And here, don't be ignorant about the rapture. And the irony is, the church seems to be pretty much ignorant (laughs) on all those things. And that's because when you're ignorant, you've chosen often to ignore something. And this is an ignored doctrine. Well, Paul says we can't ignore it because it's on the basis of the Lord's own triumph over death. And he says if you know this, you'll have comfort over those who have fallen asleep. Those who fall asleep is not those who fall asleep in church. Um, uh, That wouldn't give you much comfort. But it's talking about those who have died. In the Bible, the the, the word for death for Christians is sleep, which is a beautiful description, isn't it? You know, one theologian I read this week said, uh, it's like, you know, when the end of the day, a child is too weary. What do you do as a parent? You scoop them up and you get them into bed. That's where they need to be. And, you know, there comes a point in our lives when God scoops us up and puts us into bed. We go to sleep. And the graveyard is the biggest dormitory because it's where we're all sleeping physically but spiritually, we go to be with the Lord, as we'll see later on. But he says, we, he said, I don't want you to be sad about this uh, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And the word hope there is the word elpis, which means a certain hope, not a sort of fingers crossed hope. We hope they're alright. We have a certain hope. And the, the hope is is based on Jesus' own death and resurrection. Because the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross and conquered death and rose again proving his power over death so we can have confidence that one day in the future the Lord Jesus is going to bring those who have fallen asleep with him and that's the basis of the rapture, the Lord's own triumph uh, if i would interpret scripture with scripture in 2 corinthians chapter 4 and verse 14 paul said because we know that the one who raised the lord jesus from the dead will also raise us with jesus and present us with you in his presence that's the basis we have and it's a basis of hope because of the lord's own triumph over death and it's not, a, it's not a, a fiction thing. It's a reality for us who are Christians. Jesus is the, the one who conquered death and has victory over it. I love that story about the, the scientist Michael Faraday, who was a, a Bible-believing scientist. And at the end of his life, um, he was... Uh, very weak and ill, and a newspaper reporter came to see him. He was very famous, and they were interested. In, and they said, "You know, what are your speculations about dying as a scientist?" And he looked the man, and he said, "Speculations?" He said, "I have no speculations." And he quoted Job nineteen twenty five. He said, "I know that my redeemer lives." And that in the end, he shall stand upon the earth. And that I myself shall see him and not another. I will see him with my own eyes. He knew because Jesus had died and risen again, he was going to as well. And he had a hope for that for the future, I wonder if you do. That's the basis of the rapture, the Lord's own triumph. But it's also on the basis of the Lord's own teaching. Because if you look in verse 15, he says, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you, and he goes into the rapture. Uh, teaching about that so he says this is on the lord's own teaching the lord himself taught us about this fact this isn't something that paul just made up although paul was primarily the one who gave the the flesh to the doctrine and revealed it in its depth but it was something the lord himself had taught now there's two ways to understand that phrase one is that paul received it in revelation from from god you know, when Paul uh, was saved, he went down to uh, Sinai in Arabia. He tells us that in Galatia. Uh, in galatians and we know that he was down there and he was receiving his understanding of the gospel directly from god and uh, one of the little things that gives a little game away on that is when paul talks in 1 corinthians 11 about the communion he said for i receive from the lord that which i also pass on to you that the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and get and you think hang on a minute paul you weren't there You weren't one of the 12. How did you receive it from the Lord? He received it from the Lord by revelation. The Lord gave him the teaching about communion as if he had been there. That's amazing, isn't it? And it may be that Paul also received the knowledge of the rapture this way. And according to the Lord's own word, we tell you. So he's saying it that way. But there is another interpretation which is the one I favor. And that this is that... What Paul means by the Lord's own word is this is what Jesus himself taught. This is what Jesus himself taught. And the fascinating thing is if you look at the whole passage we read there, and part of the reason I wanted us to read right the way through to chapter 5, it has one echo after another from the Olivet Discourse, which we were looking at last week in Matthew 24 and through to 25. It talks about birth pains, what Jesus said about the birth pains. It talks about the thief in the night. It talks about uh, those who uh, don't know when he's coming uh, and and coming unexpectedly. And all those themes are all found, including the clouds and the trumpet and everything else, that's all found in Matthew 24 and 25. So it's as if Paul is drawing on the Lord Jesus' own teaching and saying, I'm sharing with you what we receive from the Lord and just giving more inspired revelation on it. But the point I want to draw your attention to is this. This doctrine is based on solid biblical things. It's based on the Lord. It's based on the Lord's own triumph over death and it's based on the Lord's own teaching about the rapture. It did not come from a man called Edward Irvin in the eighteen hundreds. It did not come from a lady called Margaret MacDonald. It did not come from John Nelson Darby. It did not come from the Schofield Study Bible. It came from the Lord. That's what your Bible says. And that's really important to understand. Because there are people around today who are saying the doctrine of the rapture is a myth. Gerald Coates, Rick Joyner, popular charismatic teachers, have been accused of saying that this is just a myth. That this is just like you know Star Trek, beam me up, Scotty. Well, I want to tell you if that's true, they've misunderstood. It's not. It's based on solid things, the Lord's own teaching and the Lord's own triumph, and we need to hold it. Uh, with that sort of value that you would hold something as precious as that, because this is uh, fundamental to our understanding. So that's the basis of the rapture. Same second thing we're going to talk about is the basics of the rapture and to get an understanding of what's going to happen. I heard about a young man who went to church one day, and he went in with a T-shirt that had uh, four letters on the front, B-A-I-K. And the pastor said to him, uh, that's an interesting t-shirt, so he said, what do the letters B-I-I-K stand for? And he said, boy, am I confused. And he, the pastor said, well, I'm sorry, but you don't spell confused like that. He said, pastor, you don't know how confused I am. <laughs> now, when we come to the doctrine of the rapture, a lot of people are a little bit like that. They're very confused about it. And this passage helps put the flesh on the bones and explains it to us. And uh, what we see here is the sequence, the symbolism, and the salvation. Let's, let's, let's have a look at this. In verse 15, according to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive who are left till the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, uh, when talking about the sequence, he's, he's going to say here that the we're not going to be in heaven uh, and be with the Lord before those who have died. This was a part of the concern of the Thessalonians. Uh, they were concerned, you know, we know the Lord's coming, but what about all those Christians who've died? They're going to miss out on the Lord's coming. And he says, we're not going to, they're not going to miss out. He said, and in fact, we who are alive when he comes, we're not going to precede them. The King James Version says the word prevent, but it's an old English word which means like precede. It means to anticipate something. We're not going to go before them who have fallen asleep is what he's saying. Instead, uh, in verse 16, he says this. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of, of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Now, that is the sequence. And he says, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will ever, we will be with the Lord forever. So that's the sequence. What he says is going to happen is, he says, the Lord himself... And this is beautiful. He doesn't send an angel. He comes himself. He doesn't send a deputy. He comes himself. That's wonderful. He comes down from heaven. The Lord Jesus comes down from heaven in a cloud and with a voice that can raise the dead like he used at Lazarus's tomb. He raises the dead Christians. This is part of what Paul defines in 1 Corinthians 15 as the first resurrection. There is a second resurrection for unbelievers that comes at the Day of Judgment. Uh, But this is the first resurrection, and they're going to be raised up to go and meet the Lord. And they actually have a head start on us, which is a beautiful thing, isn't it? So he's saying, don't worry about those who've died. They're not missing out. In fact, they actually have a privilege. They're actually going to be a split second ahead of us to get to the Lord first. Uh, so they're not going to miss out but then he says after that we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord and by the way the word caught up there in the Greek is the word harpazo which is the word that was used of Philip being snatched away from uh, uh, the the desert baptistry and uh, in Latin when it was translated in Latin that gave us it was the word rapture Uh, which is based on speed, you know, like a rapier missile, fast. This is the idea. It means speed. He's going to catch us up to meet him in the air at that time. And that is the sequence. Uh, it's It's a beautiful thing to understand. The Lord comes down and he calls out and there's a trumpet call and the angel archangel which is michael he's the only archangel in scripture and uh, he, he calls out and the dead are raised and then we go up and we met uh, with him in the lord uh, meet with them in the lord in the air interesting i told you a moment ago uh that We think Paul got all this in Sinai, didn't I? Uh, when he went down there uh, because of uh, his, his time alone with the Lord to receive his teaching. There is a fascinating parallel with Moses at Mount Sinai here in all of this. If you read Exodus chapter 19, verses 18 to 20, it says this. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like the smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke and the voice of God uh, answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up. It's a fascinating parallel, isn't it? The Lord comes down in a cloud. There's a loud trumpet sound and the voice of God and he calls Moses up. It's almost the same thing. And uh, it's, a, it's the pattern that's been set in history. So that's the sequence of what's going to happen. Now, this passage doesn't tell us anywhere about where on the chart of prophecy it happens. You have to draw that from other passages. And we may be talking about that uh, in a moment and tonight. But that's the sequence of the event itself. Now, what about the symbolism of the event? Well, the symbolism of the event is the Jewish wedding. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he taught about this in the Upper Room Discourse in John chapter 14, he said this. uh, He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. And what he's saying there is you've got to put your faith in me as well as in God the Father. But you need to trust in me even when you can't see me. You trust in God now, you can't see him. There's a day coming when you won't see me either. You've got to trust in me then in the same way. He said, in my father's house, which is heaven, are many rooms or mansions, (laughs) but it's rooms, chambers. If it were not so, I would have told you, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you also may be where I am. That's the Lord Jesus teaching on the rapture in John chapter 14. He says he's going to prepare a place in heaven, come back and take us back to that heaven to be with him. That's not the second coming. You can see it's a separate event. He's coming to to take us back to heaven with him. Now, all that is based on the first century Jewish wedding. And this is why so many of the parables are wedding parables about the Lord's return. You see, when they got married, it wasn't quite the same way as, as when I got married. A young man fell in love with a young lady. And he would go and speak to her father and the bride. And he would take with him three things. He would take a contract and it wasn't called a contract it was called a covenant a covenant a wedding covenant terms of the covenant that he was proposing he would take a bag of money to buy the bride to give to make a purchase for her and he would take wine and wine cups So that they could then seal the deal afterwards, after after the price had been paid, if it was acceptable to the bride and her father, then he would. They would have a drink of wine together, and that would be the sign that the covenant had been made. Does that remind you of anything? The Lord Jesus Christ said at the communion, "This is the new covenant in my blood. You know, this is my body given for you. He came. He paid the price for his bride." And uh, he he gave us the new covenant, the the gospel covenant, and it's sealed. And uh, we, we take the communion to remember what the Lord has done. What the young man would then do is he would then leave the bride and he said, I'm going to come back for you one day but nobody knew when he was coming back. So she had the time to prepare herself, but she had to be ready because she didn't know when he was going to come. And he would go back to his father's house and at his father's house, on the side of his father's house, he would build a house for them to live in. He would build an extension, an annex. uh, What we would say is like a granny flat, but they would build an extension on the side and that would be the family home. And the father of the man getting married was the one who had the job to say, that's good enough now. You've done a good job. Now you're ready to go and get your bride. And when he saw that stage and he then said to the man, you can now go and get your bride, then the the, the best man would go first and he would announce the bridegroom is coming and he would go and he would catch the bride, go and collect the bride and then bring her back to his house and where they would have the wedding feast and the marriage would then be, uh, take place and would be consummated. That's what's going to happen at the rapture. The Lord Jesus is coming for his bride, the church, which he's paid for. And he's going to take us back to his father's house where there's many rooms, where he's made a place prepared for us. This is why it all makes sense when you start understanding the Bible about how it's going to happen. The symbolism is of the Jewish wedding. But the salvation is uh, what it rescues us from. Because although we're rescued to glory, we're rescued also from wrath. And that's the beautiful thing about this whole passage when you read it all together. Because when you read it without putting in the chapter divisions, you'll notice Paul then goes on and talks about the time which is coming, a time of destruction which is coming on the world. And he says in verse 3 of chapter 5, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them, not on us, suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman a woman, and they will not escape. And this is, we believe, the tribulation, the time of judgment that Jesus warned us about in the Matthew uh, 24 Olivet Discourse, um, the the time of God's wrath. And uh, in the end part of this passage, he says, for God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not appointed to wrath. So the Lord Jesus is going to come for his church before that seven year period of tribulation begins and uh, it's salvation in an earthly sense as well as in an eternal sense Uh, from what's coming on the earth and you can read about the tribulation in the book of revelation and here's the interesting thing when you read about the passages of to do with the tribulation from chapter 6 through to chapter 19 even though paul uh, the lord jesus revealed to john about the churches and the seven churches and all the letters to the churches when you get to chapter 16 chapter 6 there's no more message of the church he talks about saints, people who get converted during that time, but the church is not mentioned anymore from that point. Why? Why? Because the Lord has come and taken us, and we've been saved from the wrath to come. And uh, that is something which is a big hallelujah and uh, a part of uh, the, the, the message. So, uh, and uh, that's, I'm going to talk about that a little bit more, God willing tonight so those are the basics of the rapture you and i need to take those basics to heart so that we can know this truth uh, intimately final thing i want you to see is the blessing of the rapture because you'll notice in verse 18 paul says therefore terrify each other with these words no he doesn't what does he say verse 18 therefore encourage each other with these words this message is a message of encouragement for the believers. And uh, it's a message of encouragement in, in two ways. It's a message that gives comfort for sorrow. Because we have the sadness of those who die. And this is something that affects all of us. You know, it affected the early church. We read in Acts chapter 9 about how when Dorcas died, they were all mourning over Dorcas. And they showed Peter the the things that she had made. The Bible doesn't say, therefore, we do not grieve. But what it says is we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Mm -hmm. Those of us who are Christians, we do have a hope in the face of grief and uh, we know that our loved ones are with the lord and he's going to bring them spiritually their bodies will be raised they'll be reunited body and soul uh, and meet the lord in the air and we are going to be with them again that's a tremendous comfort for us i love the words of the lord jesus in john chapter 11 verse 11 our friend lazarus has fallen asleep but i am going there to wake him up isn't that fantastic? And you can apply that to every Christian who's in the grave right now. I'm going there to wake him up. am mm-hmm. going to raise him so we don't need to mourn without hope. But the second is it gives us courage for tomorrow. Because the encouragement is to know the Lord could come for us at any moment. And that hope that that gives God's people is immeasurable. Mm-hmm. Immeasurable. Every day, uh, MRD Han used to pull back the curtains and say, perhaps today, perhaps today. And that then was put onto a, a big plaque, in perhaps today. And Christians all over the world have got that written in their Bible or up in their home, perhaps today. Maybe the Lord's coming today. What an encouragement for us. And you know, last week we were talking about all the signs, all the things that ahead, what's in store for 2024, and it was quite a depressing list, wasn't it? But Jesus said, when you see these things begin to happen, lift up your heads. Because the Son of Man's coming. Your redemption is drawing near. It's hope. It's hope. And uh, this is what we have that is different to everyone else in the world. Sam Gordon, who comes and preaches here sometimes, put it like this when he was here once. He said, the world is hoping for the best, but the church has the best hope. And I think we do, the Lord coming for us. So that's the blessing. And we'll talk more about the wonders of the rapture tonight. Just want to close by saying this. When I was growing up, it was a little hymn. We never sang it, but we we learned it as children. And it's a prayer that I think is applicable for every one of us here today. It says this. Coming suddenly, coming soon coming certainly, because he is coming certainly, night or noon Jesus I humbly pray, wash all my sins away and keep me till that day when thou shalt come. And I would commend that to you as a prayer if you are not yet a Christian ask the Lord to save you, wash your sins away and to keep you till he comes. And if you are saved Lord we know you're coming coming one day, keep me Till that day, walking with you. We're going to sing.